And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnow. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. I'm Dave DeFore, and that means it's Nerder, she wrote. Those voices that you heard on the other side, that's Seth and Mo. What's up, guys? Welcome back. What's up, Dave? Man, I can't I'm, contain I'm really myself this week. I can't contain myself. I know. Myself. We've it's been fun. laughing too hard in the pre-show. We're, we're too ready. Um, man, the, the playoff, the first round, almost over. We're, the Nerder series, of course, which has been the dumbest series to watch. The only one that's still left. Hey, look, have you guys seen two dumber teams play against each other and and had it be this fun? Is hmm, Memphis hasn't struck me as a as a dumb team all year. I think that they are they have gotten sucked into the vortex of, of Minnesota. It's chaos. Yeah. Y- yes and no. The Jaron Jackson foul issue has always been a thing. And that's just kind of got highlighted can I, can I, by adding more stupidity to the. Can, other can side I drop of my things. stat again here? I, I've tweeted about this. Um, recognizing the reasons why Memphis doesn't want to play Stephen Adams in this series, this season, Jaron Jackson, when he was playing on the floor with Stephen Jackson, averaged three point nine fouls per thirty six minutes. In the minutes he played without Stephen Jackson, he averaged five point five five point four fouls per thirty six minutes. And roughly even amounts of minutes in both. Um, and I think that, you know, they want to get to that Jackson at five lineup, but they can't do it all game. They And what ends up happening is Jackson plays 20 minutes and that's bad for them. It's, this is one of the reasons why I thought they went too quickly away from Steven Adams. I think they had to maybe cut down his minutes. They were getting good stuff from Brandon Clark and and, and things like that. But I felt like to just go from, he started in game one to we ain't seen him again was a bit extreme from Jenkins. I thought that was probably too much there, but like you need to find a little bit of a happy medium, even if it's a ceremonial start for 10 minutes. And, and now you, know, you got to kind of do that. He's out, right? Uh, he's in the protocols. So not even an option for, for game seven. So, um, or game six, game six excuse me. Wow. And, and, and game seven. Game let's seven, let's be honest. It's going seven. It's got to go seven. I mean, I, now I felt the same way about Sixers Raptors, but basketball gods no, we wouldn't give hoping. it to us. We were all we hoping it for that badly. for Sixers or Raptors. The narratives yeah. all lined up so hard on everyone being ready for it to be for it to go to game seven, and everyone had their everyone had their 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 knives sharpened mo. Um, for if they- <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. So- I threw my knife before yeah. game six. Go read my article on Bleacher oh. Report. I was smart. I said, let me get in ahead of everybody. <laughs> and, you know, we can't have nice things. So, of course, it didn't go seven. Well, we can have nice things because we always have our favorite things. This is how we start the show. And, uh, guys, this week, my favorite thing is bees. Rudy Gobert apparently is a beekeeper. I love it. He got stung on the nose, which I'm a dog owner. I think most dog owners, if you take your dog outside, you've experienced this at some point in your life. Rudy Gobert looked like my English bulldog the one time he ate a bumblebee. It's amazing. It's a great photo. And But I thought that uh, Rudy's quote about it was really good. He said, there's a few things. It's good for the environment. It's good for the landscape, the flowers, the fruits. And I love honey. So I want, always wanted to have my own. It's great. Sometimes there's some casualties. This is great. This is my favorite thing. There's no bit there to it. I love Rudy Gobert beekeeper. That's that's it. Seth, are you surprised by this? Which part of it are you asking me from? <laughs> Dave, Dave with the beekeeping. I don't even care about the Rudy Gobert part. I'm almost now just half expecting Dave. I can see Dave in the whole beekeeping outfit. 
I think Dave I mean, probably has a has a like a hive in in a portable hive in the back of his van. So when he's on his he's on his road trips, <laughs> he just he just brings the bees with him. Listen, man, I have a dream that involves a, a couple of hives and a couple of apple trees. That's you know, I'm a simple man. I don't I don't want a lot in life. Just uh, just give me those things. All right, Mo, what's your favorite thing this week? Yeah, you know, my favorite thing also slightly silly, but Draymond Green bouncing passes off of people's heads. We know how great of a passer he is, but he's given out concussions. Clay Thompson, uh, Otto Porter Jr., both of them getting knocked out. TNT had a great bit. You know, they put the, the animated hard hat on those guys as well, like to be ready for. Yeah, man, Draymond, these are hard passes too. Like they weren't like, oh, ha ha, funny. Like both of those guys look dazed. Well, you know, when you're, when you've got Nikola Jokic out there with the way his hands, you got to throw the ball hard. I'm team Draymond here. Keep your head on a swivel. You got to be ready. Seth, Seth, <laughs> okay, man. Killing people with concussions. That's right. So, okay. Seth, what's your uh, so favorite thing? You guys went silly. I'm going to go a little earnest. Um, so there's, you know, Dave, you know this. Mo, you hate this. Um, in wrestling, there's sometimes if there's a hard fought match and like, you know, the, the, the aging hero gets defeated or something like that, they get the handshake of respect. And after a hard-fought NBA like playoff series, whether it's it's NBA football playoff game, NHL series, whatever, I enjoy that when when the the opposing teams like respect the competition that they've just been through. And I think we've seen a couple of examples of that on the last couple of days. Obviously, the number of connections between uh, New Orleans and Phoenix, and you know Willie Green having worked with everyone, and and you know a lot of a lot of people having. A lot of the people on the New Orleans staff having been on Phoenix's staff last year and so on and so forth. Uh, that's really great to see. Uh, the other one is um, – and I feel like this may have like kind of almost changed the the MVP narrative a little bit – was the um, the Warriors kind of certified Jokic just the way they were like, hey, that was five games, but you know, you're real. Um, and I, I just I, – I enjoy that. I You know, we have – there's so much like, you know – tearing down and, and shit talking that like, no, that guy's good. Like I, I like that. I, I loved how effusive Draymond was in particular in his praise of Jokic. I mean, I, I thought that, and I understand that part of that is also, he's got to knock the other guys that he's, that, you know, he's throwing shots at those guys while also building up Jokic. But I did think that you're right. Like the narrative is switched. I, I mean, now it helps that Embiid is not looking amazing. Uh, because of the thumb, but I think when you when you watch those games and, and what Jokic was able to do, and everyone's clearly seeing that the talent disparity between those two teams, it was the Grand Canyon in a difference. And uh, yeah, Jokic, he was insane. I mean, it's I hate the narrative switch, and I hate when somebody struggles in the playoffs. We start screaming they don't deserve whatever award or whatever. It's a regular season award, folks. Everybody needs to chill the hell out. And, you know, like it's it's it, the narrative switch of everything. This kind of just proved like, look what Jokic was able to do with this. You know, and I think that's kind of one of those things. Again, I'm happy with any three of those guys winning the MVP. I really it, whoever wins it, those three deserve it. Unless it's somebody out of right field. If Jalen Brunson wins the MVP all of a sudden, then I'm going to have some questions. But besides that, like, I think we're uh, we're there. But the narrative switch stuff is just kind of lame. Well, listen, after the 14 of 14 performance, Chris Paul is clearly the MVP, at least for the, for the Suns in the playoffs. Uh, I do want to, before we get to some of the bigger subjects, guys, the Suns and Mavs are a fascinating matchup. And in particular, because their late game stuff is just, uh, it's dissimilar, but they're both really, really playing well down the stretch so far in the playoffs. I'm not sure I Sun's not up to where we usually like where we usually see them, but in the last couple of games I did think that they got back to where they're supposed to be. I I sort of last night especially I feel like the Mavs got away with it more than they they whereas whereas last night was sort of a masterclass and this is what the Suns do at the end of games. Like they've been winning they've been winning games, you know, bridges with the steel and a dunk. Booker with a timely three and Chris Paul sticking mid range and, you know, making life miserable for you. That's they, they ground out 25 professional wins that way this season. Whereas Dallas kind of, 
half tries to hunt a mismatch and dribbles the ball at the top of the key for 20 seconds and throws up a step back. And sometimes they go in, but I just feel like there's so much more of like execution. And I don't want to be like a total like um, snobby run stuff guy, but Phoenix gets that's my job. Phoenix gets to their stuff and Dallas kind of got away from like the stuff that was working for them is, hey, let's put Mitchell's guy in every action. And then the last four minutes of the game, it's like, well, we'll come set a pick and roll at the top of the key and then Luca will dribble for a while. And that's all they did. The, the difference is, and, and, and this is between the two teams, is there is intent and purpose in what Phoenix is running at the end of games. Like, you can see it in everything. I was uh, um, doing a, a playback with Kevin O'Connor. We were doing a watch-along, and literally coming out of the timeouts, I said, they're going to hunt C.J. McCollum. All they're going to do is set a screen, get C.J. McCollum on Chris, and then they'll they'll go to work out of that. Maybe another screen will come or whatever, but they'll just work out of that opportunity. And that's exactly the stuff that starts to happen with the Mavs. Same thing. They're, they are going to hunt and they're going to go matchup hunting in that regards, but it doesn't seem as purposeful. It doesn't seem as intentful. Like the, here's a great way of putting it. The Suns are using a scalpel and the Mavs are using a machete. And I think that's kind of the, the way I look at it. Same concept. They're both trying to slice, but one's trying to be very precise and one's just going like, I hope we get it. Well, to be fair to the Mavs, though, they had a lot more targets, right? Like, yes. it's not like they, they didn't. There was no Herb Jones out there to avoid. And or I, Jose Alvarado. Or Jose Alvarado. Or just any sort of passable defender. Let's be honest. I mean, they could go at anybody. And and a lot of times, to Seth, to your point, they were settling for that Luka on Gobert. And when Luka was hitting the step back, I mean, it's great. But if the shot doesn't fall, then what? Now, so I'm with you there. Now, I do think the similarities, though, that something we can take away is the way that this Dallas team has grown. And, Mo, we saw something in the first few games from them that we weren't sure if they even had it. Like, without Luka, the fact that they were able to win games, man, this is this was a massive development for them. Yeah, I mean, down the stretch, you got to give credit to guys like Jalen Brunson, like Spencer Dinwiddie, like those guys really stepped up in ways that – I wasn't necessarily sure they were going to. Even in game one, the game they lost, they were great in that. And again, they almost won that game. Like, And then and then being able to go into Utah, which, folks, I don't know how many of you understand. That is a very tough place to play. Like, they are on top of you in terms of the fans, the way the arena is set up. Like, they're right on top of you. And for those guys to go in there without Luka, 1-1 series, you're thinking, okay, the Jazz should take it. They come in there and just and, and go like, nah, we got this, not afraid and things like that. And and had the jazz on their feet, on, on their heels for, for that game. Like it's just an impressive performance in terms of their growth from those guys where you're like, wow, that's really something like they're going to be able to win games on the road in the playoffs without Luca. Like that's a statement there. Yeah. And, and we saw Phoenix do that during the season. You know, every time they lost somebody, they just kept on rolling and then they lost Booker. And it seemed like they were pretty ready for it. I mean, of course, you lose Devin Booker in the playoffs and everything goes out the window, so you have to shuffle and adjust. But, Seth, I mean, that's, to me, that's a huge similarity between these two teams now. I do think that there is, uh, Phoenix's guys, I think, are a little more matchup proof. I think we talked about before the series, the Utah series, that, okay, they're without Luka, but this is a good matchup for Jalen Brunson to do well. This is a good matchup for Spencer Dinwiddie to do well. Um, I don't uh, like, you know, going at Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell uh, is not the same thing as going at Mikhail yes, Bridges yes. And, and Jake Crowder and Cam Johnson. Like I like not a lot of target. Yeah, rich no, environment I mean, for, not a big target rich environment. I mean, for them like like you know, yeah. Jalen, Jalen Brunson has at times struggled against like perimeter size. Um, Utah doesn't have that. Um, which is <laughs> funny that funny that that's Utah's flaw. No one has ever mentioned that before. Um, but uh, you look at Phoenix, and that's all they have. Um, and so this is this is a very this is a very um, this is a a this is a prove it series. You know, you win a game of uh, of horse on, on like a tough shot. It's like no, make it again, Jalen Brunson. Do it again. If you do it again this series, like all right, whatever the bag is, you're worth it. Um, 
But yeah, I think that that is at the same time though, you do give them credit because the, the plays were there to be made, but they went out and made them. Um, I, I want to give, we haven't mentioned one guy and uh, it's Dorian Finney Smith. How yeah. he is, yeah. um, you know, we, we sing the praises of Mikhail Bridges a lot. Uh, Dorian Finney Smith does a lot of the same things. Dorian Finney Smith is, I mean, kind of a perfect wing player right now. And and when you look at the way he shoots from the corners, I mean, he's automatic. He's now you have to guard him, shooting higher volume. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, this this contract now looks amazing. Not to be the guy who's only looking at the contract, but wow, to get that guy on, I mean, that's a huge value for them. Crazy. Remind athlete. me what his contract is. It's pretty low. I mean, it's like I want to say it's four fifty five. Jeez, <laughs> it's a, it's a good I mean, value. That's a, that's a great value in that in that sense, you know. And I think you're right, Seth. In terms of he's kind of gets forgotten a lot, and he he's so important to that team. Same for Reggie Bullock. Like this is actually a, a pretty well built team, to be honest with with what they do. I mean, granted, maybe a little bit short on size in the middle, but I don't. Maybe that's going to hurt them in this series against Aiton. Maybe they're going to be able to stretch out Aiton and 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 put some pressure on Aiton to have to defend on the perimeter a little bit, and we'll we'll get some answers in that regard. But um, overall, like kudos to them because I had my questions about this this whole thing from front office to the coach. You know, it's, it's listen. Year two is always tougher than year one, but like impressed so far with what they've done. And Luca finally gets out of the first round. Well, just didn't have to play the first three games. And so. it helps though that they've got a couple of guys who have sort of broken out. At least one guy who's broken out and a guy who has stepped up. And we're going to talk about some of our favorite guys and our least favorite guys from the playoffs so far after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I'm not putting him on here. All right. For him to utter the words F someone out of his mouth lets you know that there's a little bit of hostility there somewhere. The fact that that guy has a vote and that guy who just said F Jalen Green will ultimately have a say if Jalen Green can sign a, a, a Supermax deal from the Houston Rockets or not. Like, at some point, and I'm going to say this again, at some point we have to start viewing athletes NBA players in particular as businessmen as as guys who understand the business they're in and stop allowing guys like that to decide the money we make I'm Larry Sanders I'm a person I'm a father I'm an artist a writer a painter a musician and smoke weed every day Okay, guys, so we mentioned a, a couple of folks that have jumped off the page for us. Dorian Finney-Smith. I'm assuming Jalen Brunson is on everybody's list. Um, but let's talk about this because some guys in the playoffs so far have really just taken a leap, it appears. And I'm going to start with the guy who I think has been the best player in the playoffs so far, Jason Tatum. Both ends of the court, what he's doing offensively with the load and then the the job he did on defense, in particular, individual defense against Kevin Durant. Um, Jason Tatum has been on another level in the playoffs. Uh, this has been this has been a couple months, really. Like there was the early part of the season. We talked about this a lot when Boston was scuffling. Like the the problem they were having is they have these two wing stars, and um, neither of them were good enough playmakers. Um, I don't know. Starting January, February. I don't know what happened, but Jason Tatum has all of a sudden become like a a surgeon in the pick and roll in in his ability to find players, um, and that's just you know 
um, it, it may be a subtle thing, but that's just a quantum leap for their growth as a team. Because that, that means Marcus Smart has to do a little less. Marcus Smart can be a second side playmaker. Marcus Smart can make an open jumper now, and he's getting more of those looks. Robert Williams can get lobs. Al Horford can get open shots. Like uh, Jalen Brown can get the ball with a, with a closeout coming and really be able to attack going downhill. Um, so, and, and I think we're seeing in the playoffs is just a continuation of that, something that's, that's really been brewing for a couple months. I almost want to go, it went even further along with the defense. You know, there was games in 2020 before the the pandemic and the entire world has changed. He was going up against LeBron and holding up LeBron defensively, you know, and and doing a good holding his own defensively against LeBron. He was doing the same thing against Kawhi Leonard uh, with the Clippers in a game in Boston that same time. It's it's the the growth of what we're seeing on both ends of the court. Like, I don't know if, if if we've ever seen this really in, in, in this short amount of time in the way, you know, Seth's talking about it at the start of the year, it was like, God, is this kid ever going to get it? Like he shows the flashes, but he's going to get it to now. We're like, yo, he's a dude. Like he's, he's, he's that dude. Like he's your guy plain and simple. And I think that's the stuff when you're watching him, I, I don't disagree with Dave. I think he has been the best player in the playoffs this year. And I think it's not even a, a, a debate for me. I, I don't think we're even close. Um, with everything that he's done and like good luck to the bucks trying to deal with that. And it's on both ends of the court, man. Like it's been really impressive to watch this. Without Middleton. I mean, who's like, it's not a, he, just from a size standpoint, he would have been their best option. And, and it's just who, like, I don't even, I don't even know where you start there for. Well, we'll for the get, I mean, we'll I get mean, to that. We're going to talk yeah. about that series toward the end of the show, but I, I do want to just, there have been, I mean, Jalen Brunson, this is we saw this during the season from him, um, but to see it on this stage and now certainly the matchup against Utah is just perfect for Jalen Brunson to just explode. He had 31 points in one of the games and didn't make a three. Okay, I mean he was just eviscerating them, and he broke down their defense just as much as Luca and created open looks for Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi so. Kleba. I would say he broke their like Luca just like scored like because he's. Like he he's he is what he is. Like Brunson actually was like, you know, breaking like breaking their defense down. Like you know, bowling a guy to the hole, drawing help, kicking. Um, Luca did that at times, but but in terms of consistently kind of getting two feet in the paint and either making shots or or getting open shots for other people. Like I thought Brunson was was even like I don't want to say more effective, but as effective as Luca in those terms. The most impressive thing for me from Jalen Brunson from this series is in the playoffs, he's fourth in points in the paint with 15.3 points a night in the paint. Like that's the thing that kind of blew me away when I'm watching this series is just not just it's. And, and again, part of this is matchup stuff and we understand it, but like getting into the paint and being super effective and none of this accounts for the kickouts. Right. This is just him straight scoring. None of this accounts for him. The kick out the leads to the three or the hockey assist that leads to the next pass. That's the three. But like just everything that we're talking about, if him breaking down and in getting into the paint, it's it's just super impressive in that thing. And then when you look at that number of just 15.3 points in the paint, that's usually up against their backline defense. That's Rudy. That's, that's Hassan Whiteside. That's, you know, that's, he's not a tall guy. It's any of their wings are all bigger than him. It's, it's along those lines. Like it was just a very impressive in performance. And this is something we saw coming from him all year, but for him to be able to show he can carry an offense for a couple of games was pretty impressive. Now I still don't think he's, you know, a one, you're you should be your t- number one option. Shout out to a few teams that are uh, sniffing around. I think that's going to be a little bit scary, but I think this is one of those things where it's like he looks perfect in the role he's in, and we're seeing it with what he's doing. Um, anybody stand out for you guys uh, on a positive po- side or on a positive. negative? Side? Let's go positive first. We'll go negative on the back side. That way, you know. I mean, start. We'll butter all, people all, up first. All hipster team MVP Herb Jones. Oh yes. I mean, I'm just like, I mean, if if nothing else, just that the one play where he gets the steal, goes left-handed behind the back, and throws in a reverse over like up up and around three guys. Just, just like, you know, like you know, I don't know if you want to call it hipster or just like you guys know that like the type of players who are like my guys, like Herb Jones is, like yeah, a lot of boxes checked there, and he's like. Honestly, he's he's on that 
does he have potential to break out of that of that you know three and D role player like Mikhail Bridges is starting to? And you know, I think I think we're starting to see Bridges have have that little bit more off the bounce that that takes him above that level. Does does Herb Jones have some of that? I mean, I don't want to get ahead of, of ourselves because he's you know he's a rookie, of, but of course you're a Herb Jones guy. You're wearing a Herb Jones jersey. People can't see this. I know it's a podcast, but <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, over. It's it's over it's, the top of the Kenrich Williams jersey. Yeah, there's there's no way to not love Herb Jones and everything he's doing. But the other guy, I really kind of like. Damn, was Brandon Ingram? You know, like. He's coming in and going, yo, I am an A1 guy. I am a guy you can run your offense through. I can create for others. I can attack in the pick and roll, get downhill and things like that. He showed his fight and willingness to fight, um, literally telling Chris, you know, we can take this outside or whatever and things like that. But I think there's there's an impressiveness with that. Like, these were the questions we've had about Brandon Ingram for a long time. Like, is he that dude? Can he be that guy? And, like, we saw it in this series. I think, you know, he went toe-to-toe with those guys in Phoenix. And I think, you know, a lot of the credit goes to Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado because it's fun and fun stories. But this thing's a sweep without Brandon Ingram. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and to to be able to hit the mid-range with the efficiency that he can, his Three-level scorer. Yeah, and he's really come a long way. And adding the three ball where he's now a threat – has has really opened up the floor for him, I think. I mean, I want to see his passing improve, right? But this is stuff that happens along the way, and you get better players out there. Um, what about Precious Achua? The, I mean, this guy, I, he was awful last year. He was not a like he was not a good player, and he gave Embiid some work in Raps that culture, baby. I'm really impressed. His shot has come along. His handle has come along. And for a big, I mean, that's hugely valuable. Uh, I, I think a large part of the reason why Embiid started to look so fatigued the last few games is because of the pressure to chew it. Now, it's, you know, they put him in the blender. It was Thad Young. It was, it was everybody. But Precious was really uh, impressive. Like, yeah, the Raptors have six of the same guys. So (laughs) it's a creative player, generic creative player. They're all like 6'10 and ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do do Um, you want the strong one in Ananobi? Do you want the the, the ball handling (laughs) one in Scotty Barnes? Do you want the athletic one in Achua? Yeah. Basically Ninja Turtles. Um, And then then another guy I wanted to point out uh, is Tyreek's Maxi. And and we've been on Maxi for a a bit, but man, he was just absolutely great in, in that series, I thought. Yeah, I mean, in in their wins and their two <laughs> losses, he was really bad, and 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 part of that has to go to the Raptors and 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 kind of what they did defensively, and in, in how they kind of shifted coverage a little bit and and slowed him down. But yeah, when when Maxi gets downhill, good luck trying to slow him down, dude. He's fast, like it's it's unbelievable, man. Like he gets a little bit of space, you're screwed. He's um he's a better like horizontal athlete than than vertical. He reminds me a little of. Of sort of early before he became like the ball dominant guy that he was in Washington, kind of the early career Gil- Gilbert Arenas in terms of kind of ability to hit like a deep three and then just that that straight line burst from even just a standstill, not even off of like a move, just like a a straight line. I'm by you and I'm at the rim and I'm quick shooting it and no one's getting there in time. Yeah, I mean it's just. Lightning quick. Okay, um, now let's go negative. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yes, I know. Yes, yes, um, yes. I, you know, I I hate to do this. D'Angelo Russell, man. What are we doing here, Seth? <sighs> Going to drop 57 tonight. I know he is. I know. And, hey, okay. I hope so. <laughs> this is, this I hope pl- so because he's been great all year. This, this playoffs is crystallizing something for me in terms of – um, and again, this, some of this is 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 always framing things in my mind. I'm not always, but frequently framing things in terms of like where I'm going to slot a guy in the player tier or something like that. But what do you do with guys? Okay, I'm trying to win a championship. I can't trust that guy. And um, he's certainly a guy from this that that has has illustrated why he's on that list. We'll probably get to one or two more over the course of of this conversation. But just he's he's 26. He's been this is his seventh year in the league. He can't, he can't, like, how is he still doing some of the stuff that he does? Like, we, we talked about it last week where he, you know, in the middle of their big collapse, he decided, like, 
a semi-contested three, one on four is a, is a good shot to take. Uh, late game, he says, I'm going to bounce the ball around and barf up like a leaning 19-footer. Like, I'm going to shoot the Chris Paul shot, except I'm not Chris Paul, basically. All right. I mean, it's, I wasn't sure if you were frozen or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's just frustrating to watch and what you're looking at when you're seeing him in that sense. Like, it's it's when he's on and he's playing good basketball, it's really good. And you're like, damn, this dude's like, he, he gets it. But it's on the days where it's like, some of the shot selection, and that's a lot of the Wolves too. Anthony Edwards took a terrible shot in that game five um, down the stretch. Cat barfed up a three just because they gave up a three on one end and, and things like that. All of that stuff was bad. But when it comes to like, I want to go to war with this dude, or, or, you know, Russell's just not that guy. He's just not. And I it, it sucks to say it like he's a guy I, I like having for three quarters, but if I got to play him in the fourth, I'm, I'm getting worried. Has anybody had a worse run the last few months than Donovan Mitchell as far as just in the zeitgeist, like people's opinion. I, I, Donovan Mitchell, this playoffs was awful, guys. I mean, y- y- yo, he was god-awful. That's not even put it. And it's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but he came into this league a little bit with a defensive profile. Like, he can actually defend some. Like, he looks like he can't defend at all. Like, I feel like I can get by him. And by the way, I shouldn't feel like I can get by anybody that puts on an NBA jersey, even Seth when he wears his uh, Ken Birch jersey. But, like, I feel like I could torch him. And it's just like I feel like this is one of those things where I don't understand it. Like, I get – I. I get what he can do scoring wise and it's all in the paint. He didn't shoot well at all this series, even though he took a series of bad shots. It's like, I just watch him on the defensive end and it's blow by after blow by after blow by. It's like, when are you going to step up? And they're talking about it in the inside the NBA of they're saying openly, Jason gets like, yeah, we're going to go at it. And there was no sense of pride or urgency from him. Like I held him in high standard for, for a good amount of time. And, you know, like just watching him kind of fall, at least I was like, all right, well, maybe the season's weird or whatever, this and that. Watching him in the playoffs, I'm just like, damn, man. Like this is when you watch the growth and and, and Tatum grow on both ends of the court and the way he's blossoming. And then you look at Donovan Mitchell's and you're just like, God damn, that's just terrible. It's not just it's and not he, just on ball defense. It's it's off ball defense. He's he is there's there's something a little like Westbrookian about always trying to make sort of the hero play. Like, oh, I'm going to rotate early and I'm going to jump this pass. Oh, they threw the ball behind me to my guy for an open three. Like, that's the, there's so much of that. And I don't know. I I, I think my my sort of skepticism on, on Mitchell is, is, is well known. And I think that um, – we, we saw a lot of that this year. Like there's there's a fine line, you know, Utah has at times in the playoffs lacked shot creation, so I need to do more. But come on, man. Like you're talking about like, okay, you need to do more. Actually get something good. Don't just like I'm going to dribble and shoot a pull-up. Like get something good. Get to the basket. Draw a second defender. Get the ball to somebody else. Don't just like oh, I guess I got I to gotta make something happen, so I guess that just means me shooting whatever. And there's too much of that. I mean, it's just, it's frustrating in the sense of the, like, I just, if you want to be the dude and you want to be the guy, like, you can't be that bad defensively. You can't be so terrible on that end, right? Like, listen, I'm not asking you to win defensive player of the year. I'm not asking you to be an all defensive player. I'm just asking you, if you're going to score 30 on one end, don't give up 40 on the other. And I, I, I think this is where we're getting with him. And it's like, yo. You need if you want to be this guy, you got to the, the guy you want to say you want to be. You got to do it. I think Steph Curry is a great example. You know, like with all the movement that he does on the offensive end. Name a defensive possession where you see him take the take it off. You know, certainly he gambles and he has some risky fouls. That guy competes on defense. I, I think Mo, you bring this up a lot. Have some pride. Like it actually is a pride thing at this point, I think. Um, anybody else that you guys are are down on because of the playoffs? I, I know it's a small sample, but this stuff does matter. Um, I I know this is not the question you asked, but I'm glad you met, you brought Curry up just because 
uh, this is something that I that I, I I remember wanting to talk about and then forgot to tell you guys I want to talk about is um, <laughs> last last game maybe last two games he looks good physically like he was mm-hmm. you know maybe again kind opponent not a lot of uh, like not a lot of perimeter stuff on the other team like their best Denver's best chance against him is probably Aaron Gordon um, but he's got that side to side jitterbug thing back that he hasn't necessarily shown in a while and that's menacing um especially with you know some of the guys on memphis notably dylan brooks who had some success in against him in the past um not kind of going through it a little bit in in this series so they're like that it's not just memphis has to get through that series they have to you know get right in some ways before they play golden state um well i'm going to take this opportunity to kind of hammer my guy jaron jackson because the fouls are bad and the fouls have been a thing and some of these fouls mo- I, I just don't like he's like this is a guy who i don't know is he feeling the pressure of the moment he's trying too much too hard i don't know what it is he landed on someone's back the other day it's just silly stuff and he fouled out in a game on a, on something that wasn't a foul but honestly at this point if you blow the whistle he probably fouled just every play I mean, it's it's really ridiculous at this point. Like when you're, you have a chance to be defensive player of the year when you're on the court, and you just can't stay on the court because you constantly foul. Like that's something at this point in your career, you need to be passed. That's a Jackson Hayes type issue and a Jackson Hayes type problem with how far along and and it just his time in his career at this point in, in minutes. This should not be a Jaron Jackson Jr. problem. This shouldn't be something we're talking about with him. Also, same thing goes to Cat for incredibly dumb fouls as well and further along than even Jaron Jackson Jr. when we talk about it in that sense. So it's like those are the the the, the scenarios with that. Um it's just it's just surprising sometimes. And it's like and and I and, and man, now you got me going on a rant. I'm going to sound like <laughs> Jeff Van Gundy. Like, yo, I'm serious. We got to find these dudes when they complain about calls, when it's very freaking obvious they completely destroyed the human being they were guarding. Okay, you were all on the guy's arm. And if I see another look of shock in your face that they blew a whistle because they didn't let you dismember somebody, I'm 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 sorry. Like that should be a fine the next day. Okay, this is ridiculous. It goes with my call for review, and you're clearly wrong. Fine goes to the video room. This one, the league needs to find these dudes because this is ridiculous. You can't act shocked on every single time. Is you hack somebody? We call Tim, Duncan Tim Duncan would never yeah. have any money. He would yeah. never have any money if if Mo has set in the Don't rules. Don't ever bring up Saint <laughs> Timmy in this. So, <laughs> like uh, I had John Krasinski on, on on my podcast a couple months ago, and like we joked, but it might even be true that like Towns complaining about every call might cost Anthony Edwards free throws. Like he doesn't yeah. he doesn't get a, for a player of his sort of athleticism, he doesn't get to the line as much. Some of it's him, but he probably doesn't get the best whistle because the refs are probably too busy telling Carl to shut up. Or like, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, no, I, there's a difference between, I think there's a, di- like a lot of towns fouls seem like almost pressing. Like he's, he's, he is wound very tightly. You can, you can see it. Like, uh, I, what, uh, was it game four? He starts the game with the three and he's already like doing like the, you know, the lightning striking me kind of, kind of, kind of thing. And I don't, I don't think that's a show. I think he's just wound very tightly. Uh, right, right now, and so a lot of these fouls are just like I got to make something happen and runs over a guy. Whereas, um, it, whereas Jacksons are, are are almost more careless. I want to say, yeah, and I think that's a fair fair way of looking at it. But it's like same same problem across the board, though, right? Like guys, keep your composure. Find a way to kind of harness this energy in one way. And they just they just there's can't. one player in this series that has any any degree of chill. That's Jordan McLaughlin. Oh, I was going to say Desmond yeah. Bain. But no, I think it's like like that was that was the amazing like Memphis ended up with like in, in maybe we can talk about the gamble Anthony Edwards tried, but um but like the 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 oh. the, <laughs> the ATO like okay, well we've got we've got Anthony Edwards, we've got D'Angelo Russell, we've got Carl Anthony Towns. Whose hands are we putting the whose hands do we trust? What's the safest <laughs> pair of hands? Jordan McLaughlin. And and of course he like runs a play perfect pass for the open corner three. And it's like, yeah, I think I actually think that was the right decision. Cause you, you gave the ball to the calmest man in the gym. 
why are you not, if you're Memphis, fouling as soon as Towns catches the ball with his back to the basket? We already talked about this. This is the dumbest playoff series that we're going to get this year. Let's just relish in the chaos. Uh, The second round of the East is set, and we're going to talk about that after the break. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. I'm going to be calm when I say this, Keith. We are witnessing one of the most delusional athletes in American history. He's he's lost. Because he's so big on telling everybody else Kyrie is also slick. Because he's trying to get away with something that I'm not going to allow him to get away You can try to paint this issue, Kyrie, into anything you what it comes down to is when everybody's focusing on you, you don't want to show up the world. You want to do what you want to do, when you want to do how you want to do it, while you got your hand out for somebody else's money. And then when you get called on, the Okay, guys, we're going to start with Celtics. And Bucks, and you know, we mentioned it a little bit earlier. This Chris Middleton injury is massive, and it's massive on both ends. It's not just the offense, man. Who the heck is going to guard Jason Tatum now? I mean, this this is a, a massive problem for them. I, I, there's no way I think the Bucks can win the series without Chris Middleton. Like that was, I originally had the Bucks winning the series, but that was fully healthy. And even then, I was a little bit concerned just because their size along the wing was was still kind of small. But now you're going without Middleton. Now you have Grayson Allen out there. Now you have uh, Pat Connaughton. Uh, Wesley Matthews isn't known for his size. Like you're you're putting out a lot of small wings here, and that's the Celtics. Like great, we're ready to roll. Like our our smallest guy is what Marcus Smart. 
in the starting lineup. Like, and he's not small and he's stocky as all hell. So it's like, I, I find it to be a very uh, challenging series for, for Milwaukee defensively figure, just figuring out who's guarding who and how are we going to just be able to defend and, and deal with their, their size and their length just because they're going to be so damn big. It's also, I think it's a challenge for both ends, Milwaukee. Um, like they're, they're light on ball handling now like that, like, you know, Boston is a, is a handsy aggressive team and Drew Holiday can, can, can throw the ball around a little bit. Um, and, you know, Middleton is a guy who, because of his, his sort of his size and kind of languid ability, can kind of handle pressure a little bit and get you into some stuff. And now who's like who else is handling the ball for Milwaukee? Like, like I'm worried about their, them having, you know, them having some turnover issues in, in this series as well. I like this is they were not they, they were not a deep team. And, you know, as you mentioned, the. The, the the big wing was a, was a lack and now they have none. I mean, this is also part of like the the shortcomings of you know the the short sightedness maybe of the uh, Dante Divincenzo trade. Not that he's massively big either, but right like just another dude to throw out there. Um, there, it's going to be a real difficult series, I think, for Milwaukee. Not not a cakewalk because by the way, they still have Giannis, and you know if you don't think Tatum's the best player in the playoffs, you better damn sure think it was Giannis. Um, and I think there's some of that with him in the sense of like, well, f it, I'm going, you know, and I'm just going to be a bowling ball through it. And the referees don't call a lot of charges on him. Um, I think you know, and 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 some might be charges, but it's going to be interesting to see how that goes for him. And and you know, see how he kind of goes into the rim, and then he meets Robert Williams coming up from the weak side, and Robert Williams. Probably going to be a little healthier than what we saw of Robert Williams against Brooklyn, right? Which, again, works in the Celtics' favor, getting him back in. I mean, this feels like Giannis at the five a lot, which is going to be hard without Middleton. I go, is it? Can Brooke Lopez play against Robert Williams? Like, what's that going to be? No, it's 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 tough. I, you know, I'm. I mean, are we asking for predictions on this series? Like, I just I. I think I think it's Celtics in five. I think without Middleton, like they need, like you know, as you said, they need they need, you know, probably five because the, because Boston could probably overcome it once. They need five finals game seven level performances from. That's maybe a little too strong because that was kind of an all timer. But they need they need you know, you know, forty and twelve games from from Giannis, and they probably need five of them to win four games in this series. That's not going to be enough. They're going to need Drew Holiday to be unbelievable as well, and I think that's going to be the 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 scenario for them. And you know, five five sounds about right. This is lining up perfect for Boston. And I don't and I don't again don't mean this as a slight or anything like that. It takes a lot of luck to win a championship in the NBA, and I don't and I never mean that in a negative way. It's just this is the way this stuff goes, um, and this is this is lining up really well for Boston, at least to get to the conference finals, which is something I didn't think was, was on the table. Even, even a month ago, I thought, Hey, Milwaukee is going to beat them. Like I was confident in that with Middleton and everything, but now it's just, you see it going and it's just like, I just can't see a way for Milwaukee to defend, to defend them and, and a score on them. The margin of error is so freaking low. They're going to need phenomenal performances from Bobby Portis, from Lopez. Like these dudes are going to have to shoot the hell out of the ball. All series long, you know, Grayson Allen's going to have to knock down three threes a night without being an idiot on the other end of the court. And I don't know if he's possible doing that. I'm just wondering against Boston's defense, how they how they get those shots for those guys. Boston, Boston's so good about, you know, they're switching, re-switching, hedging, recover like that, like just shrinking space and not allowing those shots. They're off ball scram switches, switch outs and things like that are so precise and perfectly timed. Like it's on another level. You know, it's, it's something that like every time I watch it, it's, you know, I'm like, Ooh, 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 there it is. Did you see it? Did you see it? I love it. You know, and I don't even care if the other team scored on the possession, but it's, they just do such a great job of getting themselves out of bad matchups, which is by the way, 
only one Peyton Pritchard's on the court. But he's great at it. He's, like, he's, and he's, he, no, he's like, like he's able to function as like, you know, a seventh, eighth, ninth guy for them because he can, he can communicate and get himself out of those bad situations. It's perfect. I mean, like if you go back to that Phoenix, New Orleans game last night that, you know, the big Booker three on the wing is because they were trying to organize a second scram switch, trying to get C.J. McCollum off of DeAndre Ayton, and it pulled Herb Jones off Booker by a step, and Chris Paul sends it immediately to to Book, who, who, who drills that huge three. But it's like, it's that kind of, it's one step, guys. I'm telling you, in, in, it's in the NBA, in the playoffs, one step, half a second, whatever it is, you got to be almost perfect. And right now, Boston is just at that level. Like, I... It, I'm just blown away I, by so it. So I this is a tangent, but the, but to illustrate Mo's point about how important that one step is, is uh, a couple of years ago we did we did a study using the tracking data of of how teams give up corner threes. And what we found is the difference between where the, the player who's closing to the corner started for the team that gave up the most corner threes and the gave the team that gave up the least was about two feet on average. So like about a step. Like got the, the the teams that gave up the most, their guy was starting like one half, one step, three quarter step closer to the basket, and they couldn't get there. Whereas the team that was best, like was that extra step, allowed them to close out and take that shot away. Um, I have a question for you on that study for later. <laughs> um, and well, speaking of some injury luck, if you're the Miami Heat, you probably feel pretty lucky. Joel Embiid has that torn ligament in his thumb. Clearly hampered by it, guys. I mean, I, I don't think any of us watched those games, especially the last couple, and, and couldn't tell that something was bothering him. Um, feels like a really nice uh, potential series for for Miami if Embiid is is going to struggle. Well, I think there's some of it on Miami side too. You have. Kyle Lowry with a little bit of a hamstring issue. Not sure what's going on there. Jimmy Butler out game five with the, with the knee inflammation. Like they got a little bit of concerns themselves in, in terms of what they have. And I mean, I think this is going to be a wild series in the sense of just battles, bam versus Embiid and, and Embiid's not shooting the three ball well, but I don't think he was shooting the three ball that well before even the thumb injury. Um, in, in this in the Toronto series so I think like it'll be very interesting to watch that stuff Kyle Lowry and things like that it's gonna come down maybe to can Tyler Hero not be such a big target at the end of games and I think that's something Miami's got to work look at and they got to find a way to take advantage of of not just Harden but Maxie on the defensive end uh, for, for them to really make it work so Miami Miami got through the series but in a series where he should have eight like Bam was just kind of okay. Um, and that's, you know, and we talked about the success that that um, Toronto had kind of spreading Embiid out and going at him. Like, Bam, like at his best, Bam can facilitate some of that. They need, they need, they need him to be better if they're going to do that in the, in this series. So I like, this is a very, like, I don't, I, this is a very interesting one. Too. I've been sort of, I've been skeptical of Miami as a playoff team for a lot of the reasons we talked about. I mean, you just mentioned it, like the fact that their offensive, offensively viable lineups have targets, have defensive targets. But it's not like Philly is. I mean, Philly has their own sort of foibles. Um, and this is two. This is two like high upside, but but kind of flawed teams going at each other. And it'll be interesting to see game to game how those matchups kind of play out, who gets the upper hand in a, in a given game. How does Miami win? What does it look like? Like if Miami wins this in six, let's say they win it. I think you win in six. That's a, you won that series pretty handily to me. What, what is, what do they need to do to win in five or six games? Like, what does that look like? I think for starters is they keep the Sixers out of transition and slow them down. Um, you know, the my thing for Philly is, when they play fast in the half court, and, and just to clarify, that doesn't mean quick shots in the shot clock. It means quick movements and actions and getting into your stuff quicker and earlier and things like that. I think that if Miami can get them to slow down and, and 
they they can win this series because then James Harden goes into dribble, dribble, dribble for 25 seconds and shoots. And yes, I purposely said 25 seconds. Um, and then, you know, if you get them to push out the offense and get them starting the offense in the half court or, you know, right at like the half court line, you open up more advantages for them because I think they're quicker in their rotations. Those guys fly around the court really well. They got a ton of defenders on the court there. I think they got to kind of make it a little bit more of a rock fight. And I think that's how Miami wins. It's all about how they play it on the defensive end and if they can slow, get Philly to play slow. So, Seth, how do, how do they keep Tyler Hero off James Harden, right? Because doesn't that feel like that's going to be the, the matchup that Philly's going for? And if James Harden can get going, that's a problem. Um, well, the first thing they can do is 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 fight through screens, not – not this is not this a, is the NBA set. Hold this on, is, this is not a soft. Hold on, we're this not, is not a that. soft switch series for Miami. Put it that way. Like maybe, maybe it's. I mean, maybe it's. It's kind of a you know a, a jump and hedge and recover. Um, because who's like, you know, I that that's an interesting like aspect is who if they're trying to use like the screen to to get the get the screen like who's hero covering that you are totally worried about on like slip out for popping, like you know if it's. Like is is Hero going to end up on on Yang? Like if it's if it's Matisse Thybul, do you care? Like you know, so who is who is that guy that that is setting the screen for Harden? And can they find a lineup where that actually puts Miami in in distress? And that's that'll be and, interesting to see. And the funny thing is, if they match up too hard on that, you're taking away what I think is one of Philly's better weapons. Besides the post up to Embiid, is the James Harden Embiid pick mm-hmm. and roll. Right. And then what that does, and it's not just for those two guys, what that does for Maxi on the second side is really the 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 key to it. And again, so like if they're going to sit there and go, hey, we're going to throw Thibel into these screens to get hit to get hero switched on to to James and then we're going to run our offense. That's more time, you know, and then if and if even if hero can avoid the first switch and then switches on the second one more time running off the clock. There's almost even a, a, a win in that, even if they switch on to him in the second time. But it took time off the, the time the clock, and they're still playing slower. And I think that's going to be something that, like, Philly can fall into that trap a little bit too much. And it's, you know, the the over matchup hunting is can be an issue because then you just say zeroed in on this, and if it's not fruitful, you're, 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 you're putting yourself in a bad spot there. And I think that's something Philly's got to be mindful of. I think that the thing to, to you know how if you're sort of if you have a soccer game on and you're sort of half watching, you kind of you can get a sense for how the game is going just by where's the camera? Like where what part of the field is the game being played in? I think a little bit we'll see that. Like you mentioned it, like where's like where's Philly's offense? When Toronto was doing well in that series, like Philly's offense was five out with like three guys up above the hash mark and you know, way out from the basket. When they were when they were, you know, you know, space is good, but you know you do want you do need to you do need to crack the defensive shell, and get the ball inside the inside those areas. Um, so that on one end, like where's where's Philly running their offense? If they're running it at half court, it's advantage Miami. If the ball is constantly in or around the paint, it's it's, it's advantage Philly. Um, I think that's that's going to be a big determining factor of, of this series because. Um, if Philly can score, I don't think Miami can score with them. But if it's a rock fight, I think that that Miami has more kind of grit. What's I don't know what what's the best way of describing it? Like those kind of random ball bounce to someone, make a play. Um, I think Zach Lowe once described it as as Jimmy Butler's playing gully ball, and I think that's I think that's that's what we're, what we're talking about here. Well, it's a matchup. Of two top fifteen coaches of all time, Mo, um, you know this is in the league now. This is what we've all been waiting for. Yes, <laughs> we've been waiting for this sort of chess match uh, from a coaching perspective. I mean, look, Eric Spolster. If he's not the best coach in the league, he's the second best coach in the league. I, I think we agree that he's at least one or two. Um, that's a huge advantage for Miami, Mo. Yeah, I mean, you know, I. You guys know how critical I am of Doc yeah, and, and all of those things, and and th- I, no, because you set it up that way to, to do it. But I think the, I think Spo is just a great coach, and I'm not trying to take that away from from Doc. I mean, I think the situation is though, like Spo has these guys and understands really what 
what he needs from them and how to get there. Doc, and, and this is a little bit tough for Doc in the in the scenario and for any coach. He's still trying to figure out this team. I mean, they made a massive trade, added a massive piece in James Harden in February, and you're still trying to put things together. And that's just a time component that, you know, the advantage that Spo has that Doc doesn't. And I think that's something that we don't talk about enough, but it is an issue and it's a challenge. And I it, sometimes we criticize these guys, especially me, but we got to also look at some of the stuff that they got to deal no, with. It's, it's, it's a little bit illustrative of organizational philosophy as well. Like, it's not an accident that that Miami has like uh, compliant guys, like up and up and in their roster, and you know, and Philly goes like indexes like straight talent, you know. So you have a like you have so part of getting a guy like Harden is is he ha- he has ideas about who how he wants to play, and maybe you can shade that, but he's going to play the way he's going to play. Um, and that's, you know, and that's, and that's always, you know, that is always a challenge for coaching in the NBA is because the best players, um, are empowered to do that at times. And not everyone is Tim Duncan who, or no one else is Tim Duncan, like literally, obviously, but who will like, like coach me however, and I'll, I'll do it. Um, that's, that's much less common than, you know, having to actually convince a guy and mold, mold a guy more than just having him be able to like respond to command like a, like a like a you would expect a college team to. Do we think that Harden will be more aggressive than he was in the last series? I mean, you know, Embiid kind of complained about it and, and said it was more of a coaching issue, which to Mo's point, you know, you're dealing with personalities here. And, and do we think that Harden can be more aggressive? Because that's what Philly needs, I think. Who do we think? Who do we think Miami starts on him? Do you think they just they just go PJ Tucker? Yeah, I think they go PJ Tucker. I think the fun thing is putting like Jimmy Butler on Tyrese Maxey or something like that, and and slowing him down a little bit. Or or you know depends what's going on with Lowry. Lowry on Maxey, and then you put uh, Jimmy on Tobias. You know, I think that's the stuff you can kind of they can play around with matchups. They have a lot of guys to throw at Jimmy. Or excuse me, at James Harden, and I think that's something that can tire him out because it's also different types of guys. Right. Jimmy's going to play defense differently than than PJ. PJ is going to be a lot more physical, not, you know, and a lot more in you and handsy and things like that. And I think, you know, and, and, and some of that's going to come down to also how it's officiated. And that's going to be an important thing there to, to look at is can PJ get to be that physical with him? And I think that's going to be interesting. But I think you start out with PJ on him and go from there. I think that's because even then, when you switch the pick and roll, PJ on, on Embiid, although Embiid has the massive size. PJ's strong. He's not just going to get straight run over. And I think that's something that they got to be aware of. So is this a seven game series to you guys? I think I'm, I'm actually leaning Miami in six. Seth, is that you kind of the same? I know know, know, it feels like a toss up. It's, it's, it's also the, um, the, I mean, the Lowry's availability and his like, that is because Miami is, you know, you start to get into their backcourt and unless Victor Oladipo is going to like be, a, be, a, be continue to be a thing. And we haven't even talked about that. Like where, where, where did that come from? Um, but, you know, all of a sudden you're getting into your, you know, your, your Gabe Vincent's and your Max Struces. And, you know, Gabe Vincent has done some things in the playoffs. Max Struce has done some things in the playoffs, but we're getting to the point where, are we really expecting those guys to be 25, 30 minute a game players in, in like the second round of the playoffs? Um, I think Struce is, I, I don't know about the other guys. To be fair, this is a reasonable matchup for him because you can stick him on Thibel. You can stick him on Yang. You can probably get away with him on Harris if they're running their offense elsewhere. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I think, th- I think that's it. I, the Oladipo thing to me is that for everybody's healthy, I don't think you'll, you'll see a lot of Oladipo yeah. unless you like, yo, we need a spark go type situation. And, and if the, you're in that situation, yeah. <laughs> you're probably Things are closer bad. to going yeah, home. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I guess if well, you made me pick right now, I'd say heat and seven. Oof. I don't know. It's going to be fun. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see. I, I want to see more out of Bam. I, I just like you, I, I really thought that, that could have been a big series for him against Atlanta. And um, I think he needs a big series against Embiid. I, I think it'll be important um, for for the Heat. You guys got anything else before we go? Uh, let's go with this. I'm, 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 I'm irrationally excited and preemptively annoyed 
for game six of, of Memphis, uh, Minnesota. Oh, it's, it's like, I'm just going to say it right now. Like we're hours away from this game being started. I'm pretty sure the game has already shown up at a bar and is taking shots. <laughs> it's going to be drunk by the time tip off begins. Like, it's not even like we're already, it's already kicked back a few at this point right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what colossal mess that game could possibly be. And it'll I, th- be fun. I think, I think Memphis wins this series in seven. And I think that it's going to end up being that Minnesota will feel like they should have won six of the games. Is Ja going to get another big dunk tonight? That's that's what I'm really curious about. I is mean, the sky blue? Good grief, man. He just goes to work trying to ruin somebody's week all the time. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Keep it locked into the Athletic NBA show for the rest of the playoffs. We've got the Saturday Slam and Jam coming up tomorrow. For Seth and Mo, I'm Dave. Thanks for listening to Nerder, she wrote on the Athletic NBA show. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow.